views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lehi Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I do have no very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. The worldview that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show where two pastors from different generations talk about truth in today's culture. At the top of the show today, let's go ahead and spread this content by liking and sharing it and making sure that you're subscribed to our show. And for all of you on YouTube, hit the bell so you can be informed of all upcoming shows. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of the Lathea Bible Fellowship's online podcast network of shows called the VRN. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about ABF and our local church in Portland, Oregon. And now that all of that is said, I'm Pastor Josh, the senior pastor over at ABF, and your co-host for this show, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to Truth Time. I am Pastor Monty, and uh, I'm sitting here with Pastor Josh, Yo. and we're ready to talk it up. So we are uh, exploring uh, the book of Colossians and the material that's therein, and we're also uh, talking about uh, relationships. Uh, this time we've graduated to, uh, uh, to, to dealing with husbands and wives, and that, that will be a, a fascinating uh, look at the issue of relationship. So with that said, let's look at the book of Colossians uh, in the Christ Factor. Well, we started out looking at uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 16, and uh, I think we got, we got as far as 9 or 10, and then uh, there's just so much material here. And so I thought maybe we would just pick up with um, verse 10 and, and uh, go from there and just uh, rehash some of what, uh, what, what is here uh, being said inside of this. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So... Um, Last week we were talking about just the importance of understanding. Uh, we were particularly kind of ending our discussion with understanding the uh, the work of the fruit of the spirit and how it is that as as uh, disciples of Christ we are to um, be bearing fruit in every good work, and we are to be constantly growing in the knowledge of who God is. So you know our our um, our knowledge of God. Uh, when we're when we're young as believers and we're enthusiastic about we've just accepted the Lord and and it's such a new fascinating thing to be you know a believer and we have we there's like this almost honeymoon period where believers are all excited and stuff like that and then as they as they grow older in their faith and they begin to uh, that enthusiasm begins to chill a little bit. And they begin to find out that you know, living for Christ, um, all of your, 
all, the, there are individuals inside of the church that paint the picture that when you come to Christ, everything, all your problems are going to go away. Yeah. Because you're a believer. And God is just going to take, take care of all your problems. And, 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 and what a lot of people pray for is that he will also take away the consequence of our bad decisions. Sure. And when, when you uh, become a disciple of Christ, there is that element that God begin, can, can and does redeem you from certain aspects of consequences might be there. But the reality of it is is that um, people find out rather quickly that uh, life as a believer uh, can be very difficult. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> actually, I'm going to be talking about this subject more on... I mean, James, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. in James yeah, on absolutely. Saturday, I'm going to be talking about this particular subject. But there is this concept that believers... Um, oftentimes, as their faith matures, because I don't, I don't necessarily want to say that it, their faith cools, mm-hmm. because I, it is like people are on fire when they when they start. That's kind of the that's kind of the terminology that we use as right. Christians. Like people are on fire for the Lord. I don't know that it necessarily cools, but once you mm-hmm. like stop like being inflamed or stop like burning. Um, once you realize that you're safe in the fire, then it's like, what do you do with that? Right. And I think people realize that uh, for most people, it is not a switch. Um, there are still consequences that you have to face when you do bad things. Um, there are still behaviors that even though you are saved before God, um, need to be gotten rid of. Yes. There are there are uh, philosophies that you don't necessarily even understand that you have that still need to be revealed. Um, so there's there's yeah, there's a lot of um, mechanism that needs to be developed. And I think that a lot of people don't understand that that's a trying process. And it's just like any other process for a human being. Like we're finite creatures, even though now that we're saved, we become um, eternal we're finite creatures and so we have to grow yeah and 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 i mean the real key there josh and you're absolutely correct is the issue that it, it is a uh, the sanctification aspect of our lives as as believers is is a process yeah and that as believers we should be uh, we should be engaged and involved in that process but recognize that it is a process. And, and, you know, wow, Josh is, is so right when you talk about the fact that, particularly if you're, if you're an older individual who comes to Christ mm-hmm. and, and you've, lived you, more, you've got some baggage. Yeah, you've had time to cement behaviors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've got some baggage. And that baggage uh, sometimes, sometimes is not easy to eliminate. Sometimes that baggage uh, has a, a life of its own. And it has to be submitted to the authority of God and his word. And that that itself is a process. Well, and to be clear, it's not that problems go away. It's that your understanding of the problem changes. Yes. So the problem still exists. It's just you, at, over time, you are perhaps not as stressed as you were. You have a surety of outcome, meaning that you now know that however this problem goes down, even if it ends in your death, it will be ultimately good for you before right. God. And um, and then you have an intent on utilizing the problem, like kind of surfing the wave as opposed to being uh, smashed by it. Right. Overcome by it. Yeah. So that's it's not that problems go away. And I think a lot of Christians don't understand God doesn't intend to just wipe our problems clean, at least not from the beginning. He intends to utilize them. God allows us to live in our consequences. That's if you look all throughout scripture, God allows people to to be agents of uh, free will. Like that's how he designed them. He doesn't take that away from them when he saves them. Right. And so they have to live in their consequences. And even though it may not be our particular choice to have brought sin into the world, although we do kind of choose it every day, um, we still face the consequence of Adam's sin. And so we live in a sinful world regardless of the fact that we are saved. Right. And so there are things that we have to put up with. Pain and suffering and trial, 
that don't that didn't that maybe you didn't even cause um are things that you need to put up with and what happens is there's a perspective shift when you become a Christian yes. where you realize that God isn't going to just pluck you out of this world. Instead, he's going to restructure and format how you interact with it so that now you can once again have a healthy relationship with him. And that means developing a relationship with pain and suffering. It means considering it joyful because not, not because God is a masochist um, or God is a sadist and you're a masochist, but because uh, you recognize that God wants what's best for you. Right. And so this passage that we've read here in Colossians where it says, you know, I'm growing in the knowledge of God. So bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance mm -hmm. and patience. And the key there being endurance and patience. So, uh, as we become aware of God's word, as become as we as we become aware of God's perspective on how it is that we are to live, um, so that we're all, we're no longer taking the world's perspective on the things that surround us, but we're taking God's perspective, growing in that knowledge, being secure in that knowledge. Um, that's going to be what fuels us then uh, towards the good work that Christ be glorified. And in that process, he strengthens us uh, that we might be able to have uh, endurance and patience. Right, and that really is the mirror of what James was saying also. Yes. James 1, 2 through 4. Oh, yeah, powerful, powerful verse. And then he, he talks here about, you know, joyful, uh, uh, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy kingdom of light. You know, there was a, um, when I was a young believer, um, now I'm dating myself, but um, Oral Roberts, uh, from some of you may know him. His university. Oral Roberts University. But Oral Roberts was an evangelist. And he um, he wrote a book that that talked about, and he was one of those preachers that liked to formalize things. And he, he in this book, he's talking about the fact that that we um, need to learn to rejoice in the circumstances in which we are at as believers. Mm -hmm. And, and give thanks to God and be thankful for the struggles facing because when we, when we do that, we release God's power because what we're doing is we're recognizing his sovereignty. And that, that was the gist of the book. Yeah, I and, mean, I'd have to... Uh, yeah, the, the concept of releasing God's power is a little bit sketch, but well, that's the, we that definitely recognize God's power. That was Oral Roberts' deal, you know. Oh, really? He's, you know, he's Sounds very prosperity. Well, release, you know, the power of God. You know, release the power of God. I don't feel like God's power be, is restrained by us, so be, that's... Be, be thankful. Release the power of God through Jesus. Okay. So it's no, more so, like... Uh, <laughs> it's, so, it's But the basic Partaking content, in the power of God, I think, okay. perhaps. But the basic concept there was, was that, uh, you know... Um, we need to learn to understand that as we rejoice in the circumstances and we give thanks to God for where we are at in our, uh, in our journey as believers, then we, one of those steps is to understand that God is sovereign and that we yield to his sovereignty. And through that, we then experience his blessing. And I would say over the years that regardless of the prosperity theology aspect of Or Roberts, that 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 basic truth is true to the word. Yeah, I'm also reminded of uh, Philippians um, chapter four. Mm -hmm. You know, be anxious for nothing. Yep. But in all things, in prayer and supplication, give thanks. Um, you know, and then if you follow it through, that's when peace comes to you—the peace that surpasses all understanding. So. That's definitely there. This is the continued theme, and you got to remember, Philippians was written in um, uh, in prison. 
Paul yeah. is Paul yeah. is being persecuted. Um, one of the things we haven't touched on, I don't know if you want to go down this tangent, but one of the things we haven't touched on is that there's a specific context that Colossians was written in, which is um, an anti-Gnostic con- con- context. Yeah. Well, I was going to go down that later as we um, as we get into very specific passages, which which bring out his his issue of um, dealing with Gnosticism. Um, but from a foundational standpoint, we can touch on that just a little bit for people to understand that that the whole of the book of Colossians, uh, the Apostle Paul has written this uh, letter to the church at Colossae because the, the early church was inundated with a philosophy called Gnosticism, and there were, there were specific aspects of that which, uh, which the church tried to... Well, with the church battled because the Gnostics would try to infiltrate that into the theology of the church. It's very much like progressive Christianity today. Yeah. And it's really important. It's a really important aspect in the context of this book and specifically speaking about um, anxiety and going through trials and sufferings because the way that the Gnostics dealt with trial and suffering was to completely remove the concept of it. Right. To say that, um, you know, there's a split between what you go through spiritually and what you go through physically. And if you can just release your mind or attain the true gnosis um, as a child of light, which is why uh, Paul uses this exact phrasing, the inheritance of the saints in light, right? It's a Gnostic phrasing um if you can just release yourself from this concept that you're actually experiencing pain actually experiencing suffering um you know then then you don't have to experience it it's very freudian in nature and uh and there's an emphasis here from paul that actually the thing that makes us children of light in falling christ is our human experience yeah this physical relationship that we have with, you know, suffering and so on and so forth. Yeah, and so the Gnostics, what they did was that the, the, you, the, 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 the thing about Gnosticism was that it provided people an opportunity to deal with that aspect of their humanness in a variety of different ways. And the two most common were either extreme aestheticism or the opposite of that, uh, just Hellenistic to, to the max. Yeah, just involve yourself in in you know to lose yourself as it were, in uh, in these practices because anyway the 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 human aspect of you doesn't matter anyway. Well, it's hedonism and then yeah hedonism yeah. and yeah. asceticism. So like being like a monk, yeah, where you're like removed from all society and everything else, and or just completely indulgent behavior because it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and Christianity and following being inheriting in the light of God. Inheriting as a saint means to actually come to that middle ground and and own it, um, and he gets more into it, you know, later as Pastor Monty alludes. But in right. fact, he's literally about to. Well, what he's saying here is that you know that we need to understand that that we we come to our faith understanding that there is an inheritance attached to it, and and again. Christianity is is um, in its very essence is is full of hope and promise for for uh, not only what we're going through now but for what awaits us in the future. And we just finished Thessalonians, and in Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul was extending hope. He was saying, you know, that we have hope for uh, our future. Here, the the idea of being part of an inheritance means that we have hope for our future as well and that we are you know uh we have an inheritance uh, as a holy people in the kingdom of light and so that we are set apart from the world because the world is is uh, depicted as a darkness and he says right here you know for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so we were a part of 
those who were lost and in the darkness, and we were lost in our sin, um, and we have been plucked out of that and redeemed by the work of Christ on the cross, which in another book the Apostle Paul calls uh, the propitiation for us, and Christ paid the price to remove us from where we were. Yeah, there's this, um, you can actually see it in a couple different verses, but there's this concept that we have to be disciplined, and that discipline is what brings upon knowledge of God. I mean, it literally says it uh, right here, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of, uh, worthy of the Lord. And then he qualifies that to say bearing fruit in every good work. Mm -hmm. So bearing fruit in everyday life, doing things with your physical body, this is the manner in which the, the knowledge of the Lord takes place, right? That's an anti-Gnostic rhetoric. Right. The term Gnostic, Gnosis, right. he says knowledge of the Lord. It, the word there is uh, it's epinosis which means a precise and correct knowledge. It's where you would get that. It's the same root word as, as, as gnosis, as Gnostic. And you're going to see that over and over and over as we go through Colossians. You're going to see this constant referencing to, to gnosis, uh, the constant referencing to light, which is also a Gnostic right. uh, theology that's there. So it's, um, it's interesting for us in this day and age because, like I said, there's a push in what we call progressive Christianity to move religion out of discipline, mm -hmm. you know, um, to, to basically make discipline into a cultic behavior. So high demand in this world equals cult. That's the way that we're moving right now. And the scripture is very clear that there's a high demand for discipline. That's what creates knowledge of God. Um, revelation through, yeah. Um, so it's interesting because we're kind of moving in that Gnostic nature uh, right now. And so this is really pertinent to us because this is saying you have to be disciplined uh, and that's how, you, that's how you get this knowledge of God. Right. And what, what the Apostle Paul is, is, is uh, he does this in a couple of different, he does it in the book of Romans. He's doing it here where he's saying, listen, because of this, this is the extension of that. This is the consequence of that, and the two are linked together. So because of the work of Christ, you are now in this position, and there's an expectation from you. Yeah. In, in the, the uh, thing that, that we have seen most in the last, uh, I would say, maybe 20 years or so, is is really a move away from the idea that there's any any requirement right by the believer to be involved in the process of righteousness right and to learn the word of god and to understand the word of god and have it affect your life in a in a way in which christ would be glorified but not only is our desire to glorify christ but the, but the outworking of that is that your life which was dismal and filled with conflict and because of poor choices and not understanding things. And, and uh, the, your life will dramatically turn around as you submit to the understanding of how God created things and how he seeks to have things function. Right. And, and many believers don't understand the importance of their involvement in that process. Yeah, yeah. It's... I, I firmly believe, and I mean, we just got out of Thessalonians, um, and that's talking about end times, uh, you know, eschatology. But I firmly believe that what we're going to see is as the book of Thessalonians says, uh, or is it, it might be the Olivet Discourse in Matthew, but uh, a type of religion that has no authority, has no power, that it's impotent. Right, right. Um, that's Thessalonians. Yeah. And yeah, so we just we just came out of that. And I think that's what we're seeing. And this is this is what that is. It's 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 what we're seeing with progressive Christianity is this type of religion that's personal. I would not be surprised to be predictive here. I would not be surprised if what we look at 
um, for an end times eschatology is that all organized religion, there's that, that hotbed term where people will say, right. I'm spiritual, but I don't believe in organized religion. Right. I would not be surprised if all organized religion is outlawed, but it's okay for people to have personal religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as long as it doesn't, as long as they're not trying to affect anything, which is interesting because that's very similar to how the Christians got into trouble, and quite frankly, the Jews in uh, in the Roman era, right? Yes. Is they were allowed to personally worship; they just had to publicly acknowledge Caesar. Yes, and I think that that's kind of what we're moving towards here. I wouldn't be surprised if all you know churches in America, for instance, lose their five hundred one c three status, um, you know, and churches become outlawed. Uh, and I'm not just talking about the um, the organized religion of uh, Christianity, if you can call it organized. Uh, I'm talking about Islam, all of these different things. You see this this concept of religious fundamentalism, right. where it's like we're discriminating against each other because of our belief systems. Simple solution to that. And it's a real problem. It really is. It's yes. a huge yeah. problem. Religious fundamentalism is is a huge problem because it's the natural conclusion of the idea that there is one single truth. If there is one single truth, well, then there's also a bunch of lies. Right. And so it makes sense. The real question is, are you believing in the lie or the truth? So it makes sense like to get rid of the other belief systems. That's a natural conclusion of it. And it makes sense even on a Darwinian level survival of the fittest. But in any case, I wouldn't be surprised if the big answer is get rid of all religion. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know just to continue, we'll continue that thought and then move on. But but the, that is the basis of uh, of um, the Beatles song, uh, particularly um, Lennon. Imagine. Imagine. That's not Beatles though. That's just Lennon. Well, Lennon. You know, but he was tied to the Beatles. Yeah. But but you know, John Lennon was a communist. And if you listen carefully to the lyrics of Imagine, that's basically what it's saying. You don't even have to listen carefully. You just have to listen. <laughs> it's like, well, isn't well, it like the opening line, Imagine There's No Heaven? Yeah. I don't know if it's the opening line, but, I, oh, man, it just gets my goad every New Year's. It's so interesting that every New Year's, people, like celebrities even, are, like, posting um uh, posting themselves singing these Imagine, verses yeah. about imagining that there's basically nothing, nothing for distinction. Right. At a time when we literally are celebrating the fact that this year is distinct from the last year. <laughs> I just don't get it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. no, it's crazy. It's so, and, ugh. and that is in, in the only reason we bring it up and tie it to that is because the current, movement throughout our society today, if you're not aware, and you certainly should be aware, the current movement throughout our society today is to infiltrate um, uh, communism and socialism into uh, America and to have no distinctions whatsoever. Do you think that it's actually communism or socialism or that it's just uh, like I, I think there's a. I, I agree that the end re- or that the vehicle by which, you know, by which that beast is ridden into things is oftentimes through through that lens of communism or socialism. But do you think that it is those things that is trying to happen, or that it's just just the concept of no distinction uh, and subjective truth controlled by you know? the masses well that's like anarchy essentially yeah yeah, social anarchy that's really difficult to answer in a short period of time because it it is complex on multiple levels but um the founders of um of blm are avowed marxists Oh yeah, there's make no secret about it. Right. There's a bunch of things about the of the BLM movement. Not the idea that Black Lives Matter, but the movement, you know, the organized hey, the organized religion of Black Lives Matter, you know. Well, they're catching hell right now because of the organization and you hear people talk about, you know, you see, here's the thing. <laughs> here's here's again that contradiction. Uh, you know, 
uh, Lenin, communist, uh, loved the communist system, but was a multimillionaire. Yeah, of course. You know, and and the leaders of uh, a couple of the leaders of BLM uh, took and bought you know ninety million dollar mansions. Well, there you go. And and you know people are going the philosophy we adhere to, but the organization we don't like. And and I there may be truth to what you're saying, Josh. That it could be the uh, eventual attack on the organized religion. Which will, you know, which what we will see happen in this country for sure. I believe it, and honestly, I don't think we even like. I I'll just be honest. Like I, I don't think we need organized religion. Um, except, well, we don't, except for revel, except for the revelation of it. If it weren't for the fact that God's word reveals how we connect to each other and reveals how we should connect in order for us to have. Um, in order for us to mirror better, better mirror the image of God, like I don't, I don't understand the idea of like a a discipline, you know, like a disciplined gathering of the fellowship or having like ranks and distinctions within the within the church. It's very clear that we are supposed to have those because it mirrors God's organized nature, right? But in terms of functioning in a sinful world just on salvation alone, I, I don't necessarily think that you need those things to function under the saved umbrella. It's whether you want to mature your relationship with Christ. And I think that people have such a low bar, you know, they just want to get saved and then just leave them alone. Yeah, see, I was going to say, I was going to point out that, that the, the, the need for a functioning body of Christ if you will, an organization, but the need for the functioning body of Christ is that it is within the body of Christ that discipline occurs, not the impartation of knowledge occurs, yeah. the uh, the working out of that knowledge in a practical form right. occurs. Right. And so while it's true that, you know, you can be spiritual by yourself. And even religious unto God. Yes, but to actually mature as a believer, That's you need the body of Christ. That's the key. It is, it is the body of Christ in that vein is a sacrament. It's a blessing for us to participate in where God has created us to function in a sinful world best that way. I don't know that that is the actual method by which we are to function in a post-sin world. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know that we're going to go to heaven and there's going to be pastors and churches. There's definitely going to be the 24 elders um, and what that looks like, but I don't even know that that's an administrative role. Yeah, we're not, we're not really given enough information in Scripture to understand the administrative aspect of how heaven will be governed. Yeah. So so what I'm saying is I th- I think, you know, it's it's possible that the ideal version of worshiping God will not include the administrative nature of the church um because everybody's relationship with God will be so in sync with him, in sync with him yeah. and with each other that we'll just be able to move as an organized unit without having to function the way that we need to function now. However, um we'll look at the law versus faith, right? Uh, that doesn't make the law a bad thing that we don't need the law. No, the in Apostle fact, Paul the law is a blessing, in Romans, right? Yeah. In fact, the law is a blessing to us given by God so that we can understand how to function better in our faith. And I think the same thing is true for the church. And a person who rejects the church because the church is binding or the church is legalistic um, like is actually throwing a gift in God's face, like throwing it back at God and being like, how dare you? Um, and then trying to use his own words against them that it will be a relationship that is done in spirit and truth rather than in you know this legalistic type of thing. So it's a very complex thing. I don't know that we need the church in terms of... Uh, I don't know that we need the church in terms of the post-sin crisis that we find ourselves in but I think that we are given the church as a blessing and it would be foolhardy and uh, possibly even punishable to not partake in that in a sin-filled world. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, because because the, as the Apostle Paul says, even though you've been redeemed through the work of Christ uh, from sin, sin still um, sin. You're still being attacked by Satan. Yeah. You're still being attacked by Satan, and Satan uses your body against you. Uh, in order to attack your your relationship with Christ. And, and I should be clear, because English is muddy, I should be clear that when I'm talking about not needing the church, I'm not talking about the body of Christ. Right. I'm talking about the organization, the institution of the church with its ranks of deacons, elders, you know, that sort of thing. Um, oh, yeah. Church buildings. Yeah. I'm not talking about the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. I believe that the body of Christ continues post yeah regardless of the yeah. building yeah okay let's let's uh, close this section of our discussion today uh, and we'll pick that up again next week in the meantime let's uh, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about relationship So we've been talking about relationship, and we started out talking last week, laying some foundation in regard to the relationships that exist between uh, men and women, and particularly husband and wife. And in order to truly understand the uh, dynamics of this relationship, we laid some foundational things last week, but in order to truly understand the dynamics of the relationship that exists between men and women, uh, you, you have to be uh, cognizant uh, and aware of the fact that um, this is, this is, <laughs> this is going to be a difficult relationship from the beginning. And it's, it's difficult because, because when God created man, God created man with this, well, okay, well, let me just lay foundationally and say this, is that in, in the original form in which we were created, God created men and women to be harmonious because they were, they were uh, created with his design without any sin whatsoever. Yeah. And so women were created specifically to complement the needs of men. And men were created specifically to rule over and to work the creation that God had put before him. And then when sin crept into things and the fruit was taken and Eve gave the fruit to Adam and Adam listened to Eve rather than listening to the command of God, sin entered into the world. This is in Genesis chapter 3. And when, when, sin is, when sin entered into the world, that which God had created in perfection now became stained, and there, there was a, a major transformation. And so the relationship that now exists between men and women, uh, particularly husband and wife, so those who are in an intimate relationship, that, because of sin is uh, not harmonious and dysfunctional from the very beginning. And we see this again in uh, the confrontation that takes place as God uh, is in the garden waiting for Adam and Eve, and they are hiding from him. And he asks them, why are you hiding? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Adam... Adam first. Adam reveals his uh, his understanding with sin uh, by first of all saying, "Well, we're hiding because we're naked." Right. And then he further reveals it by saying, "Well, um, the real issue here is that you're at fault, God, because you gave me the woman." Mm -hmm. <laughs> and 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 then the. Uh, you know, and so so we have this immediate dysfunction now that exists, and God, in His dealing with mankind, both men and women, um, defines now what that relationship will look like, and it is from the outset difficult and dysfunctional. Yeah. Oh, nothing sure. to add to that. I mean, I mean, um, I've, I've been succinct, but nothing to add to that. Yeah. Well, I. Okay. So, 
I don't know. I want to be careful about the phrasing of like how men and women are developed. I think that God made man and women in his image. So they have the same, um, they have the same thing that they're trying to accomplish because they were essentially made in their, in the likeness of their creator. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what I'm trying to say is like women come from men. So they have the same, um, cosmic function as men okay um their distinction comes their their responsibility to be a helpmate like their their function of being um, a helpmate within the so outside the relationship they have the same cosmic function you know subdue the earth um explore god's creation reflect his image so on and so forth because they are they are the same species um so the same value. But when God created women from men, he created them to essentially like make men more relational so that they could do that function better. Right. Um, and I think you see that, uh, A, because they're made in the image of God. When I say they, I mean humans are made in the image of God, and God is a relational being, but uh, God is relational in himself, and man, though he was in relationship with God, couldn't be in relation to himself. And so he couldn't accurately reflect the image of God right. without having someone in himself to reflect the image of God with. And so then enter woman. And it's interesting because women, just physiologically speaking, are better set up to be relational, yes. whereas men are not. So I don't know if maybe men were before women that way and then god took that from man and gave it to woman like like mm-hmm. pulled them apart i don't know yeah, um know. but what i do know is that you know the end user experience which is that women are physiologically set up to be more relationally savvy right out the gate um i think that that is an aspect of being a helpmate to make man more relational in his governance of creation yeah so there's that the other thing that I think should be noted is that the when God comes to um, when God comes to talk to man, basically when God comes to talk to man in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter three after he sins, there is already a distinction that has happened. See, we like to say that God that you know sin happened and because of that we needed salvation and so on and so forth. But I don't know how true that is in terms of the linear process of what happened because mm-hmm. okay. because God comes and he's already in conversation with man regardless of the fact that man has stopped communicating with God. Right. Right? And it's only when man says it's the woman that you gave me then that God is like, "Well, if you want to close the door, then I guess I'm going to close the door." And so then he starts operating on the neurosis that man has. I don't know if God would have done that if man had um, immediately confessed his. Yeah, his if man had confessed and repented, right. I don't know that God would have done that. I do think that there would have been consequences between man and woman, and well, and so the last point. Sorry, I'm like dumping. Um, the last point to that is that what you do see as an immediate effect is that there is a separation between man and women, where man now says. I am ashamed of who I am, and I'm ashamed of looking at you. You're a reflection of me. You came out of me. There's something wrong. When I look at you, I see something I don't like, and so now we must hide our nakedness from each other. Yeah, and, and the Sorry, only that's thing, a lot. Well, that's okay. The only thing that I would add to that is that just from a ethereal standpoint, if, if Adam had rejected the fruit, from Eve and said no God said this then God could have provided another Eve for him yeah. and we would not be addressing the sin issues that we are today that yeah although I don't know that he would have I think that there might have been uh like a redemptive well, that's why it's ethereal yeah <laughs> I I think that he might have uh I think that there might have been a redemptive process for Eve yes yeah there could have been a redemptive process for Eve the point but but that's not what we're dealing with. We're dealing with the reality. In fact, in fact, I would suggest that there 
had to have been a redemptive process for Eve because, because well because of the nature of God because of the nature of God and because of what we see which is God taking um, I don't know if it's pity I don't know if that's the right thing but God loved Eve as much as she loved Adam of course and when everybody blames Eve he she's the one who's given the the immediate blessing of yeah all these things are gonna happen to you all these curses blah 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 right but at the end don't worry because through your yeah, offspring. Through you, yes. Yeah. So well, I think that there's right, and the only reason that we 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 uh, hash this out is because is because it's it, it's important to understand that uh, the relationship that exists between men and women, uh, all complex although it is, um, from a biblical standpoint, and that's what we're interested in. We're interested in understanding. From a biblical standpoint, um, you know, God uh, provides us a, a an understanding into why it is that men and women appear to be so uh, opposed in how they they uh, approach things. So, and and that's what you alluded to earlier, Josh, was that even though women have the same desire to accomplish all those things that man was created with uh, whether that desire was taken from him or or an imparted to her when she was created out of him or, or however that worked um, the the approach that is used between men and women uh, is entirely different and mm -hmm. that's the rub yeah that's the rub right there now what so what we do see but so then what so then we have to understand that what scripture says is that God still has a design? Yeah, and he's and and his design, and we see this then as we go through Scripture, and as we go into the New Testament, his design is confirmed that by his design, uh, man was created first, and the responsibility for tending to and being a steward of creation falls on the shoulders of man. So what we alluded to but never really stated is that if if Adam had rejected the fruit from Eve, see, the, the sin took place when Adam took the fruit, not when Eve took of it, but when Adam took of it and rejected the word of God over the offering of, of uh, Eve. That's when sin took place. Yeah. And, and so when God confronts Adam and Eve, he confronts Adam... Uh, with the understanding that now that which came easy to you mm -hmm. is now going to be difficult. Right. You're, it's going to be hard for you to work. Yeah. There's going to be struggle for you to achieve uh, these things and to, main, to maintain this. To the woman, he says something different, and Josh alludes to it again, which is important that there's a redemption aspect which is uh, in there, um, but... But she is going to have a desire to want to. The, she women think that their their way is the best way. Well, and oftentimes it is. Well, sometimes it is. I I would say often. Not all the time. I would say both often and more. Um, <laughs> but but see, here's the thing. I think, and for whatever I would reason, say sometimes. <laughs> for whatever reason, <laughs> I feel like this gets glossed over. Um, maybe it's because of the patriarchal nature. Yeah, yeah. But um, I feel like it gets glossed over a lot that it makes total sense for women to want to take control. I mean, you consider the narrative, and that's the thing. I think that God's consequences um, that people always consider to be punishment, like God punishes Adam and Eve, I don't know that I would consider them punished. Yeah, I yeah. think that they're consequences, and I think, I think it makes total sense. Adam was the one who compromised the relationship. Eve was to be a helpmate, and a helpmate is relational. And that helpmate says, look, that looks good, right? And it's even clear that, that well, maybe it's not clear, but it's questionable whether Eve had the right understanding even of what the edict was from God in the first place because she says to the serpent, no, we're not even allowed to touch the fruit. Right, which is not exactly what was told. Which is not what was told, right? right, right and so right. there's this implication that maybe Adam did what men do, 
which was that he got real sloppy with his management. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that he told her something that wasn't completely true. And so then she's like, look, I touched it and I didn't die, you know? Yeah. And I took a bite and I didn't die. And Adam, without explaining the full nature of it, and, you know, he partakes in this and now they're in trouble. And so what does Adam do? He blames her. Of course. And it seems like God took mercy on her in that. And I think that there's something to be said there. I think that there is, in her mind, if I'm looking at this situation from a woman's perspective, I would have to say, now, wait a second here. First of all, I was put here to help you, and I did. And now I'm getting blamed for it. And now there's all these consequences. I'm guessing that their relationship got real awkward afterwards. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, and like rightfully so. Yeah, no, no I, I don't disagree, Josh. I, I agree. And, and it is true that uh, my experience has been over the 42 plus years I've been married that that uh, when I listen to my wife, uh, I tend to do better. Yeah. I mean, whether you agree, whether you agree with her or not, I think it's important to listen to her. And I, I think so I think that their relationship probably got real awkward. And I think that there was a re- I think that the fact that God offered redemption through her and not through the man, even though he did offer redemption through a man. Right. I think that the fact that he offered offered redemption through her basically kept her in his graces. In other words, Adam could have just gotten rid of her. Right. But he chose to keep her. Right. Because she would be the vehicle by which salvation would come. I also think the other thing that gets glossed over is that because Adam sinned, because Adam failed at his responsibilities, regardless of if the woman, having fully been informed, would have been a better manager of the situation, it is now only through Adam that redemption can actually come and so in other words like he's the one who screwed up so he has to pay and his his legacy has to pay and so like it's not right to put the burden of fixing the legacy of man onto a woman that would be a gross uh that would be like a, a gross unfairness to lay the burden of redemption upon the woman Yes, and that's the reason why in Romans the Apostle Paul refers to Jesus Christ as the second Adam. And so so basically it has to – so God does this clever thing, right, where he keeps the burden of responsibility on the man because it's not right to put it on the woman but makes her the vehicle by which the man who will achieve that mm-hmm. comes. So that's really, really interesting. And so I think in a lot of cases the woman actually is better suited – this has been my experience that the woman is actually better suited to to run the relationship. But when she does, it doesn't run properly because the man is responsible for the relationship. Right. It's not that's not it's not God's design exactly. for the woman to run things. Yeah. And so that's where you run into problems. But not only not God's design, it is a gross unfairness of justice right, to, the to woman. put her into a position where now she is responsible where she never should have been in the first place. It just and it makes it makes man feel disrespected and then man doesn't love. Yes, and and now we're getting into what Josh and I would both do in premarital counseling where we would go into depth into this aspect of it. So, um the so my my point being in in wanting to just lay this as a foundation is to understand that from the very outset now. So now we're dealing with, uh, we're dealing with uh, post perfection. We're dealing with where we find ourselves today. Yeah, living in a sinful world. Right. So we live in a sinful world. We approach. So when in the relationships that exist between men and women, um, then from the very outset, uh, are are not only complicated but um, oftentimes. Uh, there's uh, from the very outset there's tension right in in to be able to successfully maintain that relationship there has to be some some uh, understanding and ground rules laid so that the participants in the relationship can understand the framework 
around how the relationship is supposed to be developed. Now, this is what happens when, as I, as I alluded to, this is what happens when Josh and I do premarital counseling, is we take a great pain to help both participants who, who speak a desire of wanting to be united as husband and wife to understand that in order for their relationship to be successful, it has to operate within the framework that God designed to begin with, not the framework that the world has set up where there's, there's this uh, massive competition between men and women. Right. And the only way that you can have harmony in this relationship is to submit to the design that God put in place when he created men and women. And I, I got to tell you that there are aspects of that, and we're not going to go entirely into that right now, but there are aspects of that that when you mention it to somebody who is whose thinking is of the world, they just recoil. Yeah. Or they just, you know, you, you don't you don't even want to bring up the word submission with these people because they just, they recoil. I also think, uh, and I'm sure we're not going to go too much into this, which is why I just want to bring it up quickly. Um, <clears throat> but I also think that this is one of the reasons why we, why sex is such a beautiful thing. Because... And why human beings like crave it and long for it, because what it represents is a return to the antithesis of our sin, which is that we are um, which is that in our sin, we are separated from each other to the point where we are afraid to be naked with each other. Mm -hmm. And there's something to be said for this draw where it's like human beings, not even out of lust, but just this compelling nature to be naked with each other. Um, mm -hmm. I think it returns to Eden. And to remove all pretense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's something we could probably explore at another time. Yeah, I, I um, just don't think it, it's probably not it's germane not to... Not germane to where we're yeah. headed with this. So we're going to end this section today uh, with the understanding that we now live in a, in a post-perfection state. Right. That is the state of sin. And both men and women uh, have consequences that are born because of living in that state. And so the, the uh, relationship that exists between men and women uh, starts out from the very beginning uh, in tension. Yeah. In, in the, the believer has an opportunity by turning to God's word to understand how to um, how to navigate that tension. It's really funny just thinking about adolescence and how we grow up not caring about nakedness at all. And then once we become self-aware, then we start not only caring about like our private, you know, parts, but then we also push away from the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. Especially when we like them. Yeah. Like as men. We like right. we push away by bullying them. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like a real interesting like it's an interesting dynamic. For, yeah, yeah, for sure it is. So and in some the coming people never grow out of it. No. In the coming weeks, we are going to then discuss some of the manifestations that exist because of this uh, dynamic and how it is that as believers, uh, and that's the approach that we're taking is that from the Word of God, we can learn how to navigate uh, this relationship so that it can be satisfying and glorifying to God in the same fashion. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's where we're going to take it up next week. Let's just take a couple minutes here. I got two what's up with that, and uh, then we'll close our time together today. Well, it's real, it's real hard to find anything that doesn't have to do with Animalia these days, but I did find a couple of things and so um, I th that I thought were interesting. Um, over in England, mm -hmm. uh, this uh, contractor sent out his helper to do some work. He texted him and said, here's the address. Right. And I need you to go to do this work. And he was a landscaping it's contractor. It's going to be a snake, right? 
No, no. Okay, okay. Landscaping contractor. So he gave him the address. So the guy goes over there, does a couple hours worth of work, and the and when he got the work pretty much done, so he's tearing out, he's tearing out flower beds, and right? Tearing out walkway, and and when he got to the to the house, um, it was the wrong house. Oh no! Because down the down, <laughs> down the street, not a couple houses away was a house with the same number on it. So, I mean, that could be cool. It wasn't for the, his fault. That could be cool for the for the house that got the free work done. Like maybe oh now they're going to get now they're going to get like new everything. Well, I I'm suppose, sure. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. Yeah. It'd be like they'd follow all, they were following all over themselves apologizing. Yeah, of course. It. But, you know, and they're going to make it right, I'm sure. That would be so embarrassing. Yeah. You know, it's up that. Yeah. Know? Yeah, that's really bad. Yeah, it's really bad. Um, but those things do happen. In, Who you know, Whose fault that's, is that? Is and that that's, well, is that the I, companies or is that like a city planning issue? I, I don't know. I mean, there there could be shared responsibility. But the bottom line is this: you know, now you hear you hear stories of people like when they go into surgery. Yeah, they actually write on themselves. Yes, do not remove this. Yes, this is where you're supposed. This, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because those types of things happen. Right, and it's embarrassing when it does. Yeah. Oh, we took out the wrong kidney. Oh, it, it's like, oh, my goodness. Yes. We removed the... No. We cut off this arm. Yeah, we cut off this arm. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, you know. So, <laughs> I, I guess that comes with a word of warning. You can, whenever you're going to have work done, confirm it's the right place. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so... Um, Another thing that came, and you you might have seen this, you guys that are, are hip with the news and things that are going on. Um, there was a uh, a yearbook that was put out I in did Florida. See this. Did you see this? I did there see was, this. There was a, a yearbook in Florida that was put out um, for a local high school, and there were. Um, it seems that one of the teachers had difficulty with the fact that many of the photos that were taken were showing too much cleavage. Yeah. Not and, just cleavage, like arms. And so they they photo they this person, which is, she wasn't really that good at, this person photoshopped yeah. eighty different pictures of students to, all to, females to cover too. all females. Yeah. Uh, the argument was that there were a couple of males that uh were swim sh- team. Were show yeah, on the swim team that were showing uh, some, you know uh, provocative, uh, which could be considered provocative, but this lady was definitely prudish against the fact that these girls were showing too much uh, cleavage, and she covered, she photoshopped them and covered them up. Yeah. Now, uh, th- so the bottom line is, is the kids were outraged, of course. Yeah. Um, but the school is saying, well, I mean, there really wasn't any malice intended, so we're you know if if. If you bought a yearbook, we're gonna pay for we're it. We're gonna pay for it. Yeah, but but yeah, so it's definitely I yeah I was, was reading things about body shaming and stuff. But I you know I don't necessarily disagree. Well, I mean you would you would think though, and I'm we're just think you would think that this person would have asked the question, should I be doing this? I'm sure they did. I'm sure that they thought that they were operating on some sort of higher moral compass. Well, definitely so. You know. But you can't take those kind of liberties yep, today. Yep. I mean, it could have been the other. It could have been the opposite way that she embellished what was there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know. I had that thought it, too. It's, <laughs> they looked for the reduction you, of things, but did they look for the enlargement? Yeah. yeah you. <laughs> you can definitely tell we're father and son yeah. sometimes. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, that's all I got for today. <laughs> okay. Well. Uh, yeah. Let's go ahead and close out the show then. If you're seeking um, answers or, you know, you're new to Christ or the Bible or you just want to know more about your faith, uh, we want to help you. So check out uh, abfpdx.org. And remember that we are always open to questions. Um, Yeah, let's close it out. 
The Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of Aletheia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, and it is a webcast on the Vigilance Radio Network, a resource developed by our very own Project Vigilance, which is our web portal that provides helpful and interesting online resources for the church local and at large. If you want to be a part of that um, and what we're doing here, you can join our Facebook page to get access to all of our shows, including Culture Insanity, which Pastor Monty is also a part of, um, our kid shows like The Bible with Pastor Adam, uh, Nightlight Radio, which just wrapped up um, with uh, interesting conversation on deconstruction of faith, and uh, our weekly sermons. And you can always comment and question in real time. Um, speaking of shows, remember what I said, going through HeartScribe, that shows up every other week. Um, so we have HeartScribe this week, and we'll be going more... Uh, into suffering and like what that looks like in the book of James. So it's only about 20 minute buy-in. So, um, you know, feel free to check that out. If you've enjoyed Truth Time, consider supporting us. Our network and shows are free to you, but they're not free to us. So head over to abfpdx.org and click the donate tab because even a little bit would help. And if you're poor like us, that's cool too. You can still partner with us by remembering to like, subscribe, and share this podcast, which you can always find on ABF's YouTube page and Facebook and our uh, VRN Facebook group. So please take a second to do that so you can stay up to date whenever we share new content each week, which, by the way, is shared on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. We will see you next time. I am Pastor Josh, your senior pastor over at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship.